Ugly Birds of the League getting Werder Bremen back to the Bundesliga. Is Darmstadt better off without a coach on the sidelines? And how much German lower league madness can be jammed into one podcast episode? Well, you'll get all the answers to the questions on an all-new Talking Football Extra Ausstieg Edition. My name is Nick Wiltagen and I'm joined by my regular panel once again. First off, there's a man who probably needed to analyse last Saturday's defeat over several pints of some lovely Astra at the Jolly Roger. It is, of course, <laughs> Mike Rickenmeyer. How are you doing, Mike? I am doing well, um, but never again tell that Astra is lovely. It's the worst shit of all <laughs> beers you can get in Germany. I'm sorry to, to say it like that, but I've been better. Let's put it that way. Well, a little bit further south, we are joined by someone who likes to do her celebrating by drinking some fancy gin. It's our tactics expert and Bundesliga 2 insider, Jasmine Barber. I needed gin to get me through the second half of football during Pauli and Darmstadt, and I didn't. <laughs> so that was the wrong decision, I can tell you that. Right. Well, as we mentioned on top of the show, we'll be talking about all that's been going on in the promotion race in the Bundesliga 2. A lot has happened since Jasmine and I spoke just last week. In part 2, we'll be chatting about Kaiserslautern and their new part owners, KFC Erdingen returning to the Grotenburg, and loads and loads of other mad stuff going on in the regional Liga West and elsewhere in the lower divisions. And at the end of the show, if that wasn't enough, we'll be getting some ground-hopping advice from Mike Krickemeyer. All of that is to come, and a whole lot more. Right, here we go. So, Jasmine, last week... You and I, we sort of went over the run-ins of all the teams in the Bundesliga 2, who was facing whom, and who might be winning against whom, and what might happen. And, you know, uh, after a mad weekend, uh, we can say that there are still five teams in the running, right? Yes, I think it looks a little bit harder for Nuremberg now. It's just been unbelievable. Everything that I wrote down, everything that I predicted, and... Honestly, none of them went the way that I thought it would, especially the Schalke result. But it makes the results that happened this weekend that I'm sure that we'll get through. It does put Werder at top of the table with one of the easiest runs, along with Darmstadt, also one of the easiest runs. Schalke still have Pauli and Nuremberg, Pauli at home, Nuremberg away, and also Sandhausen away. Um, Pauli have Nuremberg and Schalke. And Dusseldorf at home, and Nuremberg have Pauli and Schalke and Kiel away. So, busy through last three games to go. Yeah, and you know, a lot of teams there facing Sandhausen and FC Nuremberg, they sort of got a little bit of a taste of what is in store if you, if you want to play against Sandhausen, right? Because they're not there to play some football, they're not there to, you know, make the game interesting, but they're there to be effective on things like set pieces. And I mean, this is actually a crazy start, but I think all of Sandhausen's four goals against Nuremberg came after corner kicks. Yeah, and if I might add something on that, the game in the week before, St. Pauli played in Sandhausen, and I was already ready for celebrating when in extra time, <laughs> yeah, they got one last corner and they scored the equalizer. Uh, and, and they only had six corners in the whole Nuremberg game. They made four goals out of that. 
and uh, well the, the the other corner against us so out of their last seven corners they scored five goals <laughs> that is unbelievable and that's two really good things to pick up on a tactical level set pieces tend to be in german football like especially from corners one of the worst tactically based things that people don't grasp and can't really figure out so they can either directly come from corners or what is more likely with Sandhausen is that they battle for that second ball they're very good at getting that second ball after a set piece has been played which is why they win so easily and they manage to create the space to score from that on top of just being good at set pieces right but I mean <laughs> Sandhausen a little bit of a joker there but if, if we want to go to, to another crazy game, Jan Regensburg against HSV. Regensburg getting a penalty towards the end. I think it was the 87th or 88th minute. Equalizing. So 2-2 and you think, great. Finally Hamburg are out of it. And the best they can hope for is, you know, the regular place in the league. The fourth spot. However, the last dying moments of the match, Hamburg suddenly score a goal, get a penalty, convert that penalty and win 4-2. Which means that they are now back in it with, uh, I think they've got 51 points right about now. Yep. Which means that they're only three points behind uh, Darmstadt. They have a better goal difference than Darmstadt. As, you know, unsurprisingly as they're, as they're one of the highest scoring teams in the league. So, when you look at Darmstadt and Werder and HSV having that run-in, and you think about Nuremberg and Pauli and Schalke all playing each other, you get a very interesting mix here, right? Yeah. I think... Obviously, it's hard to say because you not only have the win and the loss, it's so much easier if you can say Schalke wins all three. That means Pauli and Nuremberg have to lose at least three points. But you also have the draw, which means both teams are at a disadvantage. And then Darmstadt and Hamburg then come up. But I think as we were just on the subject of Sandhausen, what's really interesting is, A, again, Sandhausen's now the third best team of the Rückrunde. We also need to give a little bit of a look at the teams outside the top five because, yeah, going away or at home to St. Pauli, who still have the best home record in the league, that's all well and good. But you have Kiel, Auer and um, Dusseldorf, who are still in with a say of how the title race goes and it doesn't matter if there's nothing to play for I think a lot of these teams do want to show a point and also just be involved in the title race madness as well for instance Sandhausen who are now further away from relegation probably safe that they will I still see them finishing on a high note we've got our who are only seven points away from Dresden in the relegation playoff, they start to think they can do it, even though it's become a little bit harder after their 2-2 draw at Hansa Rostock. Paderborn, Darmstadt have them on the last day at home, but Paderborn have the best away record in the league and Darmstadt are bad against Paderborn. So all of these things come into play and I don't think anyone has an easy run I guess Kiel Kiel's another really good team of the Rook and has been getting under other teams' skins. So, and obviously it's Ole Werner coming back to Kiel. So that's another emotional aspect to it. So even the top five games might not be good precursors to say uh, Schalke is definitely out of it, Pauli's definitely out of it, Nuremberg is definitely out of it. But Nuremberg 
obviously in sixth place can get the least maximum points out of all the others. So that's going to be harder. Yeah, so that's how it looks like at the top of the league at the moment. And God, it's stressful. Yes, it is. Well, you mentioned the Rick on the table there. And, and what's really interesting is, as you mentioned, Kiel. They actually on 21 points from those 14 matches so far, which means that they've only taken one point less than Darmstadt and HSV, two points less than Nuremberg, and Sandhausen in third actually have taken three points more than them. So they have actually performed really rather well. I, you know, I mean, there's only two teams that have outdone them by some distance, and that are Schalke on 27 points and Bremen on 31. Anyways, Mike, your team, St. Pauli, are on 17 points in 12th in the Rückrunde. They're behind sides like Rostock, Paderborn and Düsseldorf. So, I mean, if you were to analyse now where things sort of started to go slightly wrong, where did it start for St. Pauli to go wrong and can this still be corrected? I don't have any answers on that. So, I think until four weeks ago it was okay-ish. It was not great, but it was okay. And then out of the last four games, we lost in Rostock. We made that little bit unlucky draw against Werder with that hand or not hand decision. It, it and, should have been um, a handball. Good that, that you say that. Um, no, and, and then, of course, that devastating draw in Sandhausen where they really had no chance at all until this 91st minute and that corner we already talked about yeah and then well even on saturday i think we we made more or less a good game it was not that bad but darmstadt was so horribly effective they they scored twice out of two or three shots in the first half and yeah well and uh, we we did not manage to do our stuff and so from that perspective i think what we discussed just uh, in the last few minutes st pauli and nuremberg both of them are on such a bad run the good thing is we play nuremberg so it's not possible that both teams lose again one of them probably wins or we do a draw then uh, hsv will start laughing again of course but um yeah probably we we that's that's our chance to win and Schalke plays at Sandhausen. Sandhausen needs one more point to be safe in theory at least. Uh, probably they don't need any points anymore but that's at least from a mathematical perspective. So if Sandhausen can, I don't know, take a draw or even win against Schalke, we win against Nuremberg, yeah then we're back in the race because the game day after that we play at Schalke and we can turn everything around again. Yeah, let's wait and see. I think uh, if this season has taught us anything, then you can't predict the second Bundesliga. You cannot. I mean, me and Jasmine, we talked about Schalke and, you know, Mike Biskins having turned things around five wins in a row. And, you know, Werder Bremen come along and they've got half of their defense out. And on the same day of, I think it was the day before the match, Christian Gross, the guy who usually plays in holding midfield for Werder, who's been a very important player for them this season, he gets a positive COVID test. And hey, presto, Werder Bremen goes to the uh, Veltins Arena, or the really bad beer arena, as Mike would call it. They're better than Astra, but okay. <laughs> the, the better than Astra beer, <laughs> but still tasting like piss beer arena. <laughs> and wins 4-1, and Ilya Gruev, the guy who suddenly found himself in the, in the lineup for Christian Gross, gets actually the important first goal. 
It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Well, first of all, the, everything that we said and, again, predicted on historical everything, it just, none of it made sense. Um, even trends data, for instance, Darmstadt, Pauli, both are not good runs. Pauli still have the home record. And on that note about Darmstadt scoring from their only shots on target, that's what happened to us against Schalke the week before. Schalke scored their first four goals from their first four shots on target. So it, it's weird how these things just come about so often in the Zweite Bundesliga. But not only did Verderbrim have half their team out and we thought Mike Buskins had turned it around, they, in the first half, Verderbrim, and even with a makeshift defence, completely shut down Schalke. They didn't have a shot on target. They had seven shots, which it's still quite a lot, but none of them of any real worth. And by that time, it was basically over. You didn't really see Schalke coming back properly, even in the second half, where Werder had taken their foot off, and then Dukish scoring that goal just after the second half restarted. I had a draw as the best result for Werder. You predicted a 1-1, and, you know, you got the one right for Schalke. Yeah, I, but, I think most of them were ones. Yeah, but, I mean, what, what really sort of got to me when I watched the uh, match was the fact that Werder Bremen scored their first two goals from corner kicks. And, you know, fair enough, you get outdone by your opponent once using a certain set-piece tactics. But... Once you've seen how they might be able to, you know, set up a move from a corner kick from a short corner, why would you allow them to do the same short corner once again and score from it again in the space of, what was it, 17 minutes? Yeah. That, I mean, that is, that strikes me as extremely bad coaching, as extremely bad by the analysis team that follows the match from for Schalke. I mean, what was going on there? So, probably what you have said is that I wouldn't put too much blame on the players for not seeing it, because normally you can't see it when you're been told to mark a certain way. That is definitely one for the coaching team to spot out or not. If not, figure out in games before and take it into this match. So, yeah, it's probably the kind of coaching. And from what is kind of filtering out from Schalke right now, it doesn't seem like a happy camp either from that result. Because I think things was going so well and everything's fine when you're winning, then you have a result like that, especially after a 5-2 at a competitor for the title or for promotion. So yeah, I would probably put that down on coaching, especially after some of the rumblings going around there. Excellent for San Paoli and everybody else facing Schalke. You would imagine, well, uh, HSV, they still are in with a chance as well. So it's going to be exciting to see what is going to happen in the next couple of weeks because um, all that we can predict is that this is going to be insane. And, you know, talking about teams in the Bundesliga too, this weekend we got a couple of new entries to the league. Let's start off with Greuterfurt. Mike. Now, they were relegated from the Bundesliga. They are going down into the history books as once again being one of the worst sides in the Bundesliga. Uh, I think 16 or 17 points so far. So, what do we make of their return back to the Bundesliga 2? 
Yeah, I think there's a similar law like we explained for Sandhausen. Sandhausen will always play as worst as possible uh, as long as it's not necessary to secure some wins. And then they just start doing it and at the end of the season they just stay in the league. And there's a similar thing with Kreuter Fürth. No one expects them to be at the top of the table, but they will be there until the end of the season and every now and then they got promoted. So I think they will play a good role, even though you never really know how they do it. They don't have that much money. Um, they do have a very small stadium with not many fans and so on. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they will end up in front of Nuremberg again next season. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... I mean the the stadium it has had some really strange names over the year. I think I think it was called the Playmobil Stadion back in the day. Yeah. And some other really tragic names. I mean what comes to mind for me with the with Greuterford is, is the fact that they do some excellent youth work and that's what they base themselves on. And um I mean they usually under normal circumstances would have sold many players two years ago. But that didn't happen because the market value of those players was rather high to be Bundesliga 2 players. Nobody wanted to take a chance on these players in a, in a COVID market. So they kept them and that's why they got promoted. And once they were promoted, all of these players, or some of them like I think David Raum, were on either expiring contracts or contracts to be expiring the following season. So they had to sell them. So they actually went into the Bundesliga season with a weaker team on paper than they had been playing in the Bundesliga 2 and, the, you know, they didn't splash out the cash because that's not the sort of club that they are. They actually uh, stayed grounded and, uh, you know, continued to do good work. And, you know, they they haven't they have decided to stick with Stefan Leitl despite the results that they've been getting because it seems like the sporting leadership at that club is rather realistic about where they're at and how high they can go. And, um, you know, them playing in the Bundesliga is, is them punching above their weight. Anyways, uh, talking about weight, I know that Christian Tietz is rather fond of cake and he's also coaching FC Magdeburg. So uh, they are going to play in the Bundesliga 2 next season as well. So Jasmine, what can you tell me about them? I think, unless I am forgetting some weird historic fact of them always getting relegated or, or them like Sandhausen being saved, I actually think Magdeburg might be quite stable in the Spiderliga next season. Christian Tietz, if you don't remember him from Hamburg, he plays really nice possessional football and which has been really, really dominant in the Dritte Liga this season with his striker um, Atic breaking the record for both goals scored and assists made. So he's got 18 goals and 17 assists and he's the top scorer of the team as well. So that's how kind of dominant they've been. I think they've scored something like 90 goals or something something very high, around 15 more goals than any other team in the Dritte Liga. And one of the components of being good in the Spite Liga is what you can do with the ball because other teams don't want to play like Sandhausen. Yeah, really excited to see their team come back in and see what they can do next season. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that too. And, uh, you know, to finish off this segment about the Bundesliga 2, I think that you, Jasmine, have a bit of a nose scratcher about our... What's that about? Um, for anyone who 
isn't on our football Twitter because why wouldn't you be? I mean, there was... if you're not on our football Twitter, what have you been doing with your live man? Where are you? There's a great clip of some fans. If you want to get a feel of what our fans are like, and um, it involves one guy with some purple crazy hair, and then it just cuts to a guy with partly shaven patches all over his head then picking his nose and eating it on camera. And then it switches to a third guy with a similar haircut. And just a tiny bit more about our who are second bottom in the league right now with 23 points. They're seven points behind Dinamo Dresden. And they've had weird results recently, winning away at Heidenheim, who are the second best team, home record. They won 2-0 there. And then they picked up a draw against Hansa Rostock. But they were in a leading position, but they're only seven points behind relegation playoff with a maximum of nine points to go. If the Dresden don't get another two wins or another win, they are starting to look at that relegation playoff and trying to see if that is feasible. Now, their run is not pretty. They've got Darmstadt, Werder Bremen, and on the last day, they've got a derby against Dinamo Dresden. So that last day maybe could be a playoff for the relegation playoff. Well, we'll have to see about that. Anyways, I think that is enough for part one. We'll be back in a short gif talking about all things Dritte Liga and lower league German football. Welcome back. Now, Kaiserslautern, the Red Devils. You know, the team playing at the Batzenberg, the team that has set the Bundesliga alight by getting promoted from the Bundesliga 2 and then winning the title under the glorious Otto Rehagel. Now, they find themselves in bed with a new business partner. Now, Kaiserslautern fans, they do know a lot about shady business dealings. There has been the Betsa Bond, which uh, was sort of a sham that they've gone insolvent and, you know, were in receivership. So this time around, uh, after, you know, Luxembourgian investors and uh, all the other guys who've buggered off over the years have now gone out the door. This time around, should there be any reason to celebrate for Kaiserslautern fans? Have, have they found a stable partner that can bring them forward into a glorious future in the Bundesliga 2? Unfortunately not. So, Kaiserslautern were in quite a bit of trouble last year, both financially and on the field. They were only saved from relegation on goal difference last season and needed an emergency loan of a million euros. As we said, the money has been pretty tight there for a couple of years, shady investors, and despite not being a fan of the their main investors, Saarfeldt's Invest, they kind of said, okay, we have to go along with them. And they were okay because they were a bit more transparent. But now what has happened is Pacific Media Group have come in and have bought 9% of the shares. Now, who are they? And they are an American-Chinese group. I think... Sounds ent- great. Yeah. <laughs> Entertainment group I believe but they're really well known but for all the wrong reasons basically so um, Fantastic. 
<laughs> they have a portfolio of clubs, um, including Barnsley in the Championship, Nancy from the Second Division of France, KV Oostende from Belgium, amongst a few others, including FC Thun in Switzerland Second League. And basically, what's worrying is on a day uh, this past week, two of those clubs got relegated into a lower team. So um, both Barnsley got relegated to League One and Nancy got relegated into the third tier of French football under their ownership. But how active an owner are they? I mean, they're buying a stake of 9%, which uh, certainly makes them one of the bigger investors. But, you know, given that there's the 50 plus one rule, given that they don't have a decisive majority, how active can they be and how Badly can they screw up Kaiserslautern, practically speaking? Well, the lucky thing is 50 plus 1 is in place, so you won't probably see the same sort of absolute mismanagement that they've done with Nancy and Barnsley, including they keep on hiring um, Daniel Stendel in all of their clubs which is also very, very interesting. So I think if Kaiserslautern start to do bad next year, we can see a return of Daniel Stendel. But on top of that, there is obviously, or what looks to be quite obvious, no emotion to them buying anything. It's fully for business purposes. I can't remember which club it was, but I think it was Nice where they bought some shares and just sold them off a year later for three times the profit. So they're all about running clubs at very, very low, apparently to them developing youth, but really they just want to run things to the tiniest line they can and take all the profits. But on even on top of that, Kaiserslautern fans already know that they're not happy. They've had fuck PMG banners at their games. There's a really great article on Generation Lutzifer DE where they go about how they haven't seen any transparency from that group and just to go on about how bad they are between their other clubs Nancy and Ustenda they would basically move players ah bit, so a, bit, a bit like you know Salzburg and uh, RB Leipzig saying well we're not on the same crew we're negotiating the price at a you know fair margin here you know nobody's friends so you know we're moving these players back and forward and you know it's just a coincidence yes just a coincidence however that gave them an unfair advantage in league 2 finance Nancy and all the other clubs complained and so the regulations and financial regulations and ombudsman basically said this looks really irregular we're gonna ban you from transfers so do you want to take a guess how they loophole that um a transfer ban a transfer ban i mean your youth team and your second team are probably not banned from doing transfers, right? I'm not sure about that, but how they loopholed this one was they loaned players from Ustende instead. Ah, so they weren't... They were, well, I mean, I, I thought that a transfer ban would also have meant that you were forbidden, that you weren't allowed to loan other players, but, well, I mean, if you're still allowed to loan players and you're part of a giant group of clubs, then that Transfer bonus is a bit pointless, isn't it? 
Oh, almost pointless. Well, I, I mean, exciting times. Uh, probably for all the wrong reasons for Kaiserslautern fans, I take it. Anyways, uh, Kaiserslautern actually lost on the weekend, which means that it's, it's going to be a bit of squeaky bum time for them as uh, Braunschweig are uh, two points behind them and have one game in hand. Anyways, uh, let's go even further down the divisions and let's chat a little bit about the Regionalio West. My favorite Regionalliga. And, you know, I mean, the, the story I wanted to tell on this episode of uh, Talking Foosball Extra, the Aufstieg edition, was the fact that KFC Erding returned to the Grotenburg, which is their home stadium. It's a historic place where they had some of their biggest wins, like that 7 was it seven three win against Dynamo Dresden in the uh, Europa Cup of Cup winners? I hadn't played there for four years, and uh, you know they opened it up again and uh, played bottom side VfB Homburg. KFC Erding, of course, being placed second to bottom, and they lost four nil. So instead of you know going on about Erdingen, let's talk a little bit about what happened today, Mike. What happened at Wegberg Berg against? LR Arlen, which again was another relegation dogfight match in the Regionalliga West on this match day. Yeah, maybe first of all, we just need to tell that club name again because probably most of you have never heard about that. So it's FC Wegberg Beek. So just look that up in your dictionary and try to spell it in the correct way. Um, yeah, they played LRL. You might have heard that name before because they played second Bundesliga some years ago, or some many years ago at least. Kevin Grosskreutz and, and Mark Royce have played for them. Yeah, both of them. Correct. So that was good old days. Yeah, they they played each other in that Regionalliga West game, and in the 60th minute, it was interrupted by the referee uh, or abandoned even no interrupted at least uh, because some guest visitors um, uh, so, so um, supporters of Arlen attacked some family members of one of the players of Wigberg Beek Spent Hazani and understandably he got on the stand and tried to help them uh, I don't have any details, so I don't know how it came to that situation. I don't know what exactly he did. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the referee has no chance if any player gets, well, let's say violent in any perspective, even if it's against some idiots on the stands. Yeah, he has to see the red card. Uh, so that's what the referee decided then. The game was interrupted for 90 minutes. And then in the end, it was uh, they they continued to play. Wigberg Big lost one nil. Uh, many people got uh, into the hospital. Uh, the people who started this fight was uh, transferred by the police outside of the stadium. So um, I'm quite curious if this result will stay or if um, the Regionalliga will have another discussion on that. So let's wait and see. Uh, Ella Aalen um, announced the state or announced that they will do a statement. I haven't seen it yet. So maybe there will be something within the next couple of hours. And if you listen to this, there might be already an update. Well, we make sure to post that on, on Twitter or something. Uh, well, I mean, one one of the things that uh, all of us, all three of us are fans of, of a particular team. And wouldn't we all have loved to play for our team just once? I did. 
For, <laughs> for two, for two of them. Oh, hang on, you're lucky bastard. <laughs> I've never played Converted Bremen, and I never will. But uh, it turns out, Jasmine, if you're a fan of Karlsruhe SC, you might actually be in with a chance, right? Yeah. So a couple of years back, I think it was 2017. Loads of clubs basically got rid of their second teams. I mean, we see second teams all the time. We know Dortmund 2, we know Bayern 2 in the lower leagues of normally the Dritte Liga. But during these years, quite a few clubs got rid of their second team. It wasn't seen as profitable or manageable and to keep savings in line, they cut off their second teams. But Karlsruhe, their fans wanted to keep their second team in quite an unusual way. Basically, a couple of supporters attended the training camp off, I think just after they got rid of the second team and basically came up with an idea that it should be run by fans and actually played by fans. So they um, approached Oliver Kreutzer. What is his role at Karlsruhe? Does any, is it... Uh, Does anyone know that actual role? Sporting director. He's a big man. Sporting back. director, CEO. Sporting director. You know. Social media expert. <laughs> Social media expert of Karlsruhe agreed that this should go ahead. Um, they can use the actual Karlsruhe name on top of that, as long as it obviously doesn't bring the name under disarray. So um, in 2019, 20... The team started at the bottom of the league period. They actually had all the paperwork and tell and were ready to start. And yeah, they had an average year, even with fans playing. And I don't know where they are. They have... Have they gone up? Was that the rest of it? I They're basically doing well. <laughs> yeah, but I would be disappointed if they would not be promoted in the first season because... To be honest, if you play in the lowest league of Germany, you're rubbish. Uh, you're you're a great you're a great evening player. Of course, all respect to them. So it's great that we have people playing football on that level. But if you are uh, the second team of a professional football club, and you just ask your supporters to step in, you will have some guys who just love to play for that shirt and who will be better than Kreisliga C. So no doubt about that. So they definitely will not play in the in the bottom league, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But what confuses me about this story is that this is even a story because uh, for, for many teams, and I just said I played for Werder 12 years, I played for St. Pauli fourth team some years. So in many teams, there is this situation that you have so many different teams below professional football. And I just looked it up before this, this episode. FC St. Pauli has seven teams in men football and Werder Bremen has at least five teams. And I think when I got from youth to men team at that time, uh, Werder had also seven teams. So um, I'm just confused that so many teams in Germany and Karlsruhe was one of them didn't even have some amateur teams among their teams. So they just have the first team and that's it. I can't understand that. So. Um, apparently not. But um, I realized why I got confused. They were already in first place. They First season, they were seventh. 
and then the season after was the corona season and they were already first place and because it got ended i think that's why they were then promoted but the weird thing and probably the weirdest thing to anyone who doesn't know that much about especially lower leagues and how it operates from their parent club it's that they're doing well and all these teams who sold off their second teams which included um Eintracht Frankfurt and they then go and get them back so Eintracht Frankfurt now has a second team because they brought it back in and it looks like Karlsruhe is trying to do the same and bring back their second team well there you go okay uh, last story we do love a story about a referee on this podcast as Mike Krickenmeier is a referee in, in the blind Bundesliga going forward from next year and who has officiated as high as in uh, the fifth tier, right? No, no, no. Sixth, seventh. Sixth, I'm not. Sixth. Verbandsliga Schleswig-Holstein, if you want to know. Well, there you <laughs> go. Uh, <laughs> now, um, Mike, going forward, are you thinking about how you'll be using your whistle? <laughs> Yeah. You know, your most important tool as a referee besides the yellow and red card. Are you going to adjust how you use it and how high your volume is going to be when you are whistling that whistle? Yeah, well, I should if I read that story that came up today. So there is um, a referee, or there was, I need to say, a referee called Pierre Heckler. And in 2018, in October, he played this really, really great match in the Kreisliga B, Sportvereinigung Sonnenberg 2 against DJK First SC Klarenthal 2. And I'm sure we would all have loved to be there. So, uh, and I also learned a new word before we started the show today. So there was a handbags situation or a fisticuffs situation. Um, I just learned these two words today, which we call in Germany Rudelbildung. And uh, he got there and he, like you do as a referee, he blew his whistle. And... Yeah, well, in the end, there was a player injured in his ear uh, permanently. And so he went to court. There was, first of all, uh, one uh, sentence to eight social hours for, for Pierre Heckler uh, that he needed to serve. And uh, in a second trial on civil right, he was fined for or no he was not fined they agreed uh for 2500 euros as a penalty and yeah to be honest i don't understand that so of course there are situations on the field where you blow your whistle and you turn around and that moment you realize oh there was a player standing really right next to me and he just grabs his ear and well, usually you just, both of you just have a laugh and you continue. And in this situation, if there are really, really permanent damages to the left ear, well, I, I can't understand that. I, If this was going to trial, of course, there were medical proofs on that. So, yeah, but I, I'm just a little bit... Uh, lost on this situation. It, it sounds like the guy who got the sustained the ear damage was spectacularly unlucky. I mean, I've been on pitches where the referee has blown the whistle quite close to me, and yes, it uh, sends shivers down your spine in a way uh, when you don't expect it. But um, 
getting hearing damage if you know that you know you must be incredibly unfortunate and um, having said that they actually spent a lot of their time in court discussing whether or not the use of the whistle was intentional yeah which is kind of funny because do referees use the whistle intentionally yeah i think the only discussion you might do on this is did he intentionally blow it into the ear of that player so that would be a discussion that you could do but yeah i'm i'm i don't think so so no one would do that i think what really is a pity on this situation is that there was no uh, help or support or whatever from um, the football association so does that give you reason to pause do you think, well, oh, oh my God, if I'm unlucky, <laughs> I, you know, I might, I might be there all on my own, and you know, my local football association is not going to support me. Yeah, so at least I can totally understand that he, after 20 years of being a referee, just stopped that immediately. So uh, uh, in this article on Twitter, he stated that this was the most expensive whistle ever in Germany. And he's probably right. So, uh, and especially if you know what you get uh, for, for a just normal amateur football game in Germany, it's something between 20 and 30 euros usually. You don't want to pay 2,500 euros for that. So uh, that's just <laughs> insane. And I would expect my football federation to help me out on that and tell the court, okay, he's not the one to blame. Give that amount to us. Uh, we will take care of that. So that's what I would expect. But yeah, well, it had not happened to you. Well, I mean, the most expensive whistle in uh, whistling that's been done in football history, if you ask KC fans, Carlton SC fans, they probably say that Manuel Griff is wrongly awarded free kick to HSV is going to be the most expensive <laughs> whistle. Yeah, but they did not whistle it themselves. So it was Manuel Griff's whistle and here the referee whistled it and yeah, well. There's, uh, well, there's a lot of whistle to go around for everyone here. But anyways, uh, let's finish off our show with some ground hopping advice. So where are you going to take us this time around, Mike? We will go to the Saarland. Uh, exciting, <laughs> exciting place. The stadium I'm talking about is the number 47 in the list of the biggest stadiums in Germany. And I'm sure all of you now know already what I'm talking about. No, probably not. So there was a record attendance of 33,000 and this was in 1969. can now play the Jeopardy anthem, but probably still no one knows. So we are, of course, <laughs> talking the Ellenfeld Stadium in Neunkirchen. It was opened in 1912, burned down in 1928. And the record attendance of that 33,000 took place in a promotion game to the Bundesliga, where Borussia Neunkirchen really played for, I think, three years. After that, the club went down and now they play in sixth or seventh league. I don't know. Um, in 2003, Bayern Munich played there in the first round of the DFB Pokal. So 23,000 fans were there again for the last shine of glory to that stadium and today it's limited to 12,000 for security regions which is more than enough because in the Oberliga Saarland that's okay they just have an average attendance of 500. What makes this stadium so famous is that they do have 
a really old main stand, which was just renovated some years ago with some new red seats on it. But if you are there, you will have a lovely view to the right and to the left on some very, very high uh, terraces. There are some very famous black and white stairs on the right-hand side. And if you just take a seat and take a look at the football pitch, you will have a lovely look on the nature of the Saarland behind the opposite stand. So I haven't been there, I need to admit that, but I have seen a lot of pictures already and I will really, really try to go there soon. Right, who isn't dying to go to the Saarland? Um... What I do know about the Zealand is that it used to be a country of its own after the Second World War. They actually played to West Germany for the World Cup uh, qualification of for the 1954 World Cup, I think. They were actually in the same group with Norway and West Germany. Helmut Schön has actually coached the Zealand as he's coached the East German national team and the West German national team, which makes him uh, a coach who's coached three different nations, all stemming from the same nation. Which you know can only be repeated by somebody on the, the former Republic of Yugoslavia. Would would assume. And last fun fact: Stefan Kunz's father used to play for Borussia Neunkirchen in the Bundesliga. Stefan Kunz, of course, being the national team coach of Turkey these days and the man with the funniest last name in football. Anyways, uh, I will definitely call you when I'm on my next football trivia. Game. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is it for this edition of Talking Foosball, the Ausstieg edition. It's been a blast, guys. Uh, Jasmine, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they find your work? You can find me on Twitter at underscore Jasmine Barber and all my work kind of goes there because it's all over the place. Right. Mike, where can people find you if they want advice for what beers to avoid? Yeah, you should definitely follow the Milan tone. If you follow myself, if you want to follow myself, you can do that on Mike Cru. <laughs> there you go. Anyways, you can follow me at Norm Users. You can follow this podcast uh, at Talking Foosball. And make sure to support us on our Patreon page where we are going to post a little bit more historical content this season and uh, going forward next season as well. And well, next up on this channel are the Fantasy Boys who are going to tell you how you can get the most out of your fantasy team going forward for the last few weeks of the season. So stay tuned for that. 